Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. Happy Martin Luther King's Day. Peace, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Behold Pop Culture, the show where we take a look at some prominent people, figures, and events in pop culture today and in the past and try and see what lessons we could take away from them. The date of this recording is Saturday, January the 16th, and it appears that the world is getting ready to go back into full work mode return to the normal workload as this week we'll be having the inauguration of new president joe biden many schools have or are about to resume again and we'll be right back in our journey to better ourselves every day so over this past week i was thinking about what i was going to speak about the coming saturday how things are going to break down especially because football is getting less and less games, basketball is now experiencing some coronavirus issues, and seemingly handed to me on a silver platter was the story of the week in sports, which was James Harden, two-time NBA MVP, multiple-time scoring champion, a man who was a pride of Houston, Texas, And quite frankly, one of the greatest scorers I've witnessed in my lifetime. The James Harden, the beard himself, was traded from the Houston Rockets, an organization that he appeared to be disgruntled with. And at the end of the road, he has now been traded to the Brooklyn Nets for a slew of assets that moved around in what ended up being a four-team trade. With the Nets only acquiring James Harden, the Pacers were engaged in this trade, the Cleveland Cavaliers somehow entered the deal, and with the shuffling of different assets, namely pretty much every first-round pick the Nets could trade, moved. Now Cleveland has claimed a valuable asset in Jared Allen. The Indiana Pacers acquired the Nets' best scorer off the bench in Karis LeVert. And the Houston Rockets have acquired four first-round picks and four first-round swaps, which essentially is they have all of these picks from the Nets over the next four to five years, if my count is correct. And the main player asset that people have been speaking about is the Houston Rockets were able to snag Victor Oladipo over from the Indiana Pacers. But that's not what people have been talking about in the media. Sure, the Houston Rockets get a good player in Oladipo if he could return to form, which was an all-star. But everyone wants to know, what does James Harden landing on the Brooklyn Nets mean for that team? 
James Harden now joins who I believe to be the third best scorer in NBA history in Kevin Durant. He joins the greatest ball handler in NBA history. It seems to be a consensus that that's Kyrie Irving. But it's not as simple as James Harden teaming up with some very talented players in what should be one of, if not the most talented big three that any NBA team has ever had. And the reason for that is, one, Kyrie is MIA right now. Kyrie Irving, the phenomenal player that he is, he started off the season with some of his best statistical performances, averaging close to 30 every single night. He took games off for personal reasons. And with full respect to him, I don't know what these reasons are. He's chosen not to disclose them. So with all due respect, I'm going to assume that there's a good reason for that. But at the end of the day, that means that the Nets don't know what their plans are for the near future. But for the sake of this conversation, I'm going to assume that Kyrie Irving is going to be able to settle whichever disputes he has right now, whatever situations need attention, and come back healthy both physically and mentally. So with that being said, James Harden comes into a situation where Kyrie Irving is just as ball-dominant as he is. James Harden has been the scoring champion that he's been over the last few years because he has the ball in his hands more than any other player in the NBA. He consistently has had the ball in his hands more than any other player with the only person even comparable being Russell Westbrook, his former teammate. So this is one of those situations where I don't think anyone was a clear winner or loser of this trade. It was just an awkward deal. For the Nets, they're trying to get as much star power as possible because it's a star-driven league. You want the best possible players on the court that will give you the best chance to win. For the Rockets, they tried to acquire as much assets as possible. Personally, I would have taken a deal with the Sixers and tried to acquire Ben Simmons. But for the Nets now... Are they going to have a starting lineup with Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant where it's pretty much a hot potato situation because all three of them are such prolific scorers? Now, I've heard this idea floated around on the internet because right now the debate is being which player is going to have to step back. Every time we see a big three, someone has to become the de facto number three. The other two can still maintain somewhere around the same success, but the third player has to accept a reduced role. With the Miami Heat, LeBron and Wade became the stars, and Chris Bosh, who was a franchise player, took a step back. More recently, when Kevin Durant was a part of the Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry and Durant still maintained prominent roles, but Klay Thompson, who we know is a star in and of himself, took a step back. So of the three players on the Nets, most people agree that Kyrie Irving is going to have to be that person to step back. But the idea that I've heard, and I'm tending to side with, is the possibility that one of these players, and it's not going to be Kevin Durant, one of these players for the sake of the team should sit on the bench and be a sixth man. I know, I know, that's a ridiculous idea. 
these players are too great. They're not going to accept a role to that extent. But just think about the implications. If you have one of the greatest scorers in NBA history, because all three of them are at least top 10, top 20, they're in the conversation. You start two of these players, whether it be Harden and Durant, Kyrie and Durant, they do their thing with their offense. They tear up opposing teams because they're going to be so difficult to guard offensively. And just when those teams think they can catch a break, boom, two-time MVP comes off the bench and torches them for 30 or 40. Boom. One of the greatest ball handlers in NBA history is just giving your team problem after problem after problem if he can learn to distribute the ball a little bit better. But knowing that this likely won't be the case, the question is, do I believe that Steve Nash, the coach of the Brooklyn Nets, will he be able to manage these egos? Will their play styles be able to mesh? And my answer at the moment is uh, maybe. It's a situation where I feel that the Nets took somewhat of an unnecessary risk making this deal. I think their team was built to compete at the highest level before the trade. And the only question surrounding that team was, would they be able to show up in the playoffs defensively? But they just traded away their best defender in Jared Allen, though I know that Kevin Durant has shown he could be one of the better defenders in the league. But now you've acquired a player who's over the years been criticized for his defense. I know that he's improved with getting in the passing lanes and just being somewhat of a pest, but at the end of the day, these teams in the playoffs are going to want to isolate Kyrie Irving. They're going to want to isolate James Harden and see what they can get from that. So as much as I want to say that this team is now the favorite to come out of the Eastern Conference and should give LeBron some serious trouble, I'm going to pause on the hot takes there. I still am a strong believer in the Philadelphia 76ers. When they're not dealing with the coronavirus complications that has been whittling down their roster, defensively, this team is a force to be reckoned with. I think they could be the best defensive team in the league. And I already said before the season started that I think Joel Embiid will be on his way to being an MVP in this league. He has very little holes in his game as a big man, and his dominance relative to today's game could be comparable to that of Shaq in his time. He's a massive big man who can dominate in the paint by physically overpowering your average center in today's NBA. And add on to that the fact that he's been getting better at shooting to where you have to defend him on the perimeter. His passing is going to start becoming easier to do by the lanes that he's creating, who on the Brooklyn Nets is going to be able to handle that? They're now down to just DeAndre Jordan, who is just simply not going to be able to contain the player that is Joel Embiid. So from a talent perspective, the Nets are right up there with the Lakers. But until I see what exactly schematically, tactically, strategically the Nets are going to choose to do with this influx of now three phenomenal players, three MVP-level players, in my opinion, I still have to say that the Lakers are the favorite to win 
the NBA Finals this year. But the best part about this is every week I'll be checking in. I can't wait to watch what this team is going to do. And I'll be able to give some more accurate commentary of what I'm seeing in terms of their approach to how they're going to leverage this situation. So welcome, James Harden, to Brooklyn, my home. And we'll see if you can be the final piece to put it together to bring a championship to a city that's been begging for some level of success in the NBA world. KD, Kyrie, James, the keys are yours. On the NFL side of things, we had a relatively predictable wildcard weekend. Most of the people that should have won did, but I did want to take the time to note that the Seahawks, who I predicted would win, fell. The offense just couldn't get clicking against the Rams' defense. And the story of the weekend was the Pittsburgh Steelers just absolutely collapsing on themselves. The first play of the game, they snap the ball, fumble it, Cleveland scores a touchdown. Then Ben Roethlisberger is coming down the field throwing picks. The Browns are getting great field position, scoring and scoring. It was ridiculous. The Steelers looked abysmal, to say the least. Now, I'm not going to say that they weren't there to win, but something within this team stopped clicking about halfway through the season, and they just could not reignite the fire that had them as an undefeated team. So the Cleveland Browns, with a fan base that is very passionate at the moment, are now moving on to take on the Kansas City Chiefs this week. And I have to say, the prediction for this game, for me, is very simple. Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the NFL. The Cleveland Browns defense is nowhere near top 10, in my opinion. And Baker Mayfield is going to have to go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes to keep pace. Now, the argument on the Brown side of things is that they'll be able to churn out the game, run the ball consistently with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. But I truly believe that a couple stops on that Browns offense, if they could key in on the run game and even slow it down a little bit, the Chiefs are going to have a field day. I'm not going to say it's going to be a blowout. I think that the Cleveland Browns will find some success on the ground. But I do not believe it will be enough to outsmart, outplay, just overall outperform the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'm picking the Chiefs to win that game and move on. Likely on the back of Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Travis Kelsey just torching the Browns' defense. And the Kansas City Chiefs defense that's often underrated, just making a few key plays that'll allow them to get out of there with the victory. Now the other two games, I'll start off with the first of the games for the weekend with the Rams taking on the Green Bay Packers. Now the discussion here is the Los Angeles Rams who have a dominant defense with quite possibly the greatest defensive player of all time in Aaron Donald, can they do enough to hide the woes of Jared Goff not being great 
when he needs to be. The woes of that run game not being as great as it once was. And I personally believe that Aaron Rodgers, that bad man, as Stephen A. Smith himself would say, will be in MVP form. So offensively, I have little doubt that Aaron Rodgers will find a way to put points up on the board. And at the end of the day, as great as that defense is, let's assume that the normal for Aaron Rodgers is scoring 21 points. If the Rams defense gets that down to 14 or even 10, am I confident that the offense will be clicking enough to get in a shootout or something of that nature where they'll offensively match the Green Bay Packers? I'm not that confident. They'll be in the cold weather. Aaron Rodgers has plenty of experience playing in the cold. Devontae Adams just a couple weeks ago had a dominant game in the cold. The Green Bay Packers are ready. While Jared Goff and them have been chilling in the sun and the great weather of Los Angeles, the Green Bay Packers have been down in the dirt, in the snow, in the cold, ready for a fight. And I do not believe that the Rams will be able to stop them. Aaron Rodgers, a man who is aging in his career, will be ready for prime time. So I'm rolling with the Packers with one of my favorite quarterbacks in, Aaron Rodgers. Right after that is what I believe will be the hardest game to predict in the Baltimore Ravens taking on the Buffalo Bills. I can't lie, this is a tough one. The Buffalo Bills have a tremendous offense that's been clicking with Josh Allen and a solid defense that was able to make a lot of good plays throughout the season. The Baltimore Ravens are led by Lamar Jackson, a former MVP, someone who's just doing unseen things at his position, and their defense has shown that it can be solid when it needs to be as well. And there's quite frankly, no specific metric that I'm using to say this is why I believe one team will win over the other. My gut is just telling me that Lamar Jackson is back with a vengeance. And I'm rolling with the underdogs here and saying that the Ravens will get it done and defeat the favorited Buffalo Bills led by Josh Allen. And lastly... The Tampa Bay Buccaneers will be taking on the New Orleans Saints, where Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, gets to duel against a formidable rival of his in Drew Brees. Both goats, both some of the greatest players to touch a football. And these are two very similarly built teams, in my opinion. Granted, the Buccaneers have more firepower with regards to their wide receivers. They have three number one receivers, whereas the Saints really only have one. But outside of that, I don't see too much of a difference strategically. Aside from the times where Tom Brady is just slinging deep balls 50, 60 yards down the field to receivers who are just getting open, which I don't believe will be the case on Sunday. The real difference for me here is the defenses. 
The Tampa Bay Buccaneers started off the year with a strong defense. They were top five by most people's eyes. But as the year went on, they became weaker and weaker to the point where teams with relatively poor offenses were able to put up points on them at will. And the New Orleans Saints throughout the year have had a stout defense that's been getting the job done. We know that the New Orleans Saints have a stadium that's renowned for being distracting. And considering that the Saints disposed of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers without much struggle throughout the season twice, I'm rolling with New Orleans to put the plans together to once again shut out Tom Brady from getting to the Super Bowl. With that being said... We can move on to the music section of the podcast, where there were no major releases this week. However, I'm scrolling through my YouTubes, looking for the pulse on what's going on, and I come across a new Tiny Desk video, and for those who are unfamiliar, Tiny Desk Concert, I highly recommend It's a lot of your favorite artists performing with live bands in a little office area. And it's cool. It's always good sounding music if you are a fan of the artist. And I've even found new artists off of Tiny Desk. So as I'm scrolling, I come across a woman by the name of Jasmine Sullivan. I'm completely unfamiliar with her. I don't know her background, if she's been making music for a while. But I see that this video was getting a lot of views in a short amount of time. So it piqued my interest. I am an R&B fan, so I click on it, and this performance was amazing. I have to recommend you check it out. She destroyed the tiny desk. Her vocals were well done. The lyrics were well flowing. And it led me to find out that she just this week released a new album. So I'm going to spend this week, hopefully, if I get the time, checking out her new album. Again, the woman's name is Jasmine Sullivan. I just want to spread that I thought that she put out some good content on that tiny desk. And I hope that if her album is more of what I was hearing then, I will be coming back next week and recommending that album. But other than that, I was able to catch up a little bit more on music that I missed. I somehow never got to listen to the new song, Good Days by SZA, which was phenomenal. That came out in the very end of 2020, and if I would have heard that, I would have put that on my personal list of one of the best songs I heard that year. SZA's voice was angelic on that track, and I have to recommend that for anyone who's a fan of SZA, a fan of R&B. The production was through the roof. I had literally no problem with that song. It was so well done and just listening to it was a great experience. The only other moment of note from this week was Juice World. His last music video that he did before his unfortunate passing was released. He did a video with Cole Bennett, the man behind Lyrical Lemonade, who's been doing so many music videos for people in hip-hop and rap culture. Juice World's video for the song Bad Boy with Young Thug released. 
So if you're a fan of Juice World, I recommend you check that out. Just more good content from him. Again, rest in peace. And I hope that any profits from the music that's being released now is going to his family. Despite the music industry still being on pause, as the only release we're aware of that we're waiting on is Drake's new album for January, I came across an article with some pretty intriguing information being provided. So I noticed maybe a couple months ago, it might have been in December, that Lil Wayne had recently sold some rights to his catalog for a hefty amount of money, but most people familiar with music business know once you sell off your music, you're liable to miss out on a lot of money aside from the fact that you'll lose out on royalties that could be paying for your grandchildren's grandchildren's grandchildren. So it was a questionable situation. It seemed like one of those things where you have to be strapped for money to make such a large decision. And I came across an article that spoke about major artists selling their music And that wasn't necessarily not the case, but it provided some more background information on it that I wanted to share here. So going through this article, some names that you might recognize that recently sold some rights, maybe not to their entire catalog, but at least a piece, or at least the owners of them sold it, are Bob Marley, Shakira, Taylor Swift, Calvin Harris, You may have heard these names before. They're pretty big artists. And the rights to their music has been shuffling around over the past couple months for some strange reason. And through reading the article, there's a few points that I recognized that were pretty interesting. First of which is amidst the pandemic and what is a lot of states' markets are down for a lot of different reasons within the different industries, largely real estate. There's been a lot of moving around. Some states have looked a lot more appealing than others. But the tax rates have taken a hit with regards to the music industry. So at the moment, what was normally around a 40% tax rate has dropped to around 20%. So just for layman's terms, if previously an artist was able to sell their catalog for $1 million, they really would have been only able to see about 600000 at best. Now, an artist selling their catalog for $1 million, they could see $800,000 of that, which is a big difference. So any artist who it speaks about a little bit more the personal situations I won't disclose too much, but any artist that's strapped for cash is in some type of situation where they need more liquid assets, they've opted to turning their catalog into more liquid assets, more cash that they could use for the moment. Though I believe long-term, this should be the very last resort an artist is taking especially when you've had the careers that many of the people engaging in this has. It's not that bad of a financial decision for the moment. If you know specifically what you're going to do with it, you have investments lined up, etc., etc., 
you're getting a lot more bang for your buck before tax rates start shooting up again. That eventually leads down the path of being able to predict what the worth of your music will be in the future, etc., etc., etc. So that was an interesting shift that was taking place within the industry that I wanted to make note of. And that can take us to the final section of the podcast, the gaming section, where it seems like they're following along with the music industry and using the time to take a break. Unfortunately, for some companies whose games are already out, they can't take that much of a break. It's been a particularly stressful start to the year for the highly, and again, I spoke about it last week, I have to stress how highly anticipated the game Cyberpunk was. I'm not going to go on and on again about how much this game has been crashing, it's lacking optimization, and even when it works, it's a eh, it's okay, it's not mind-blowing, it didn't change the whole gaming world. It's a lot of things that you've seen before, just a different perspective. Likewise, Madden has been really struggling this year. Their most notable promotion that they've tried to get off is with Nickelodeon airing an NFL game. They were able to secure a deal where they could incorporate SpongeBob themes where you dress up in uniforms that are akin to SpongeBob colors. You play in different stadiums that are designed after SpongeBob places. But none of the theatrics and semantics can cover the fact that the game hasn't improved And fans of the game are continuing to ask for more innovation within the game and find better ways to optimize with the new interests that the incoming gamers have. But outside of those realms, the only real talk in the industry is innovation within the mobile gaming sector. And from what my sources are telling me, I think we'll hear a lot more information within the coming months about companies moving into those sectors, a sector that's often not clumped together with the greater world of gaming. I think there's going to be some innovation there that's going to take over the whole gaming landscape. We're talking about gaming as an entertainment medium where people are going to be playing more mobile games to entertain others live. All of those formats are going to be coming. And I'm even doing some research into an incoming Minecraft competitor that's being hyped up to potentially make some big waves. But with that being said, as always, I'm grateful for everyone who came to listen. Usually I will go on my soliloquy about how much I value getting better and better every day. But I think it's most appropriate for me to end out this episode with some words from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. So thanks as always. And this is Behold Pop Culture. I believe that even amid today's mortar bursts and whining bullets, that is still hope for a brighter tomorrow. I believe that wounded justice lying prostrate on the blood-flowing streets of our nations, 
can be lifted from this dust of shame to reign supreme among the children of men. I have the audacity to believe that peoples everywhere can have three meals a day for their bodies, education and culture for their minds, and dignity, equality, and freedom for their spirits.